0: Welcome to GovCast, connecting with federal IT's top decision makers. I'm Alexander Bolova, Production Lead at GovCIO Media and Research. With me today is Senior Researcher, Sarah Seibert. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Alex. So you had the opportunity to talk with Michelle Thomas, CISO at the Science and Technology Directorate at DHS. How'd it go?
1: It went really well. It was uh, super interesting. I love GovCast because you learn more about people that you see all over LinkedIn (laughs) and getting some tidbits that you don't always get just based on their professional profile. So I learned a lot about Michelle.
0: Well, as much as I want to dive into the fun facts immediately, I guess we should first start uh, a little high level. Who is Michelle Thomas? And what does the DHS... Science and Technology Directorate do?
1: So Michelle is a senior IT and cybersecurity leader. She has over 25 years of experience in enterprise-level digital transformation in the federal government, So she started at the Air Force in 1988 and since has worked across government at agencies like the Departments of Treasury, Energy, Transportation, and Labor, uh, with a stint in industry thrown in there. So she really brings a diverse perspective to federal IT modernization. And then in our conversation, she dives into, like I mentioned, her personal background. So she's lived in multiple different countries, speaks different languages. It was really interesting to learn more about her backstory outside of government.
0: Yeah. And I guess speaking of that backstory, do you have any other fun facts that you want to share from your conversation? Oh,
1: man. I think her mom is a chef or baker like has a culinary background and her dad is from government. So I won't give away all of her, all of the fun bits from the episode, but that's high level what's going on with Michelle.
0: (laughs) Wow. I'm not, you know, we've had a lot of people appear on GovCast, but I'm not sure if we've had anybody really bring up like baking or cooking, which is a lot of fun because that's definitely something I've gone into relatively recently.
1: What's the last thing you baked?
0: Well, the baking I've been doing for much longer, but I made, ooh, I made a Boston cream pie for family. Um, Oh, actually, no, no, no. The most recent thing I made were Portuguese egg custard tarts for the Oscars. Don't ask me how they were connected to the Oscars. I was just having an Oscars party. I found it on New York Times cooking, and I made them but I didn't have a tin that had like the tiny like little cups like the 48 ones I had like muffin tins. So I ended up making like absolutely giant sized egg tarts. And they were amazing if a little unwieldy.
1: Oh my gosh, I'm impressed. I have never heard of that before. I love talking to you about baking and Great British Baking Show.
0: (laughs) That's right. Well, have you baked anything recently?
1: Oh, I am not a baker at all, but I do cook occasionally. (laughs) I recently this week made Asian steak bites. (laughs) Yeah, like a little appetizer, chop up some ribeye. I made my own hoisin sauce. Yeah, it got serious. That is like other, last night was microwave dinner. So like Asian steak bites for me is elite cuisine in my household.
0: (laughs) I mean, that sounds absolutely delicious. And I feel like our listeners should be taking some notes. I know I have a lot of trouble coming up with new things to cook for myself. So I'm definitely going to add that to my list.
1: Most of the stuff that I cook is like some sort of Asian spinoff. I have a lot of like those ingredients in my house. But other than that, that's a lot of takeout and a lot of microwave tuna packets. Like just what's on hand and what's easy.
0: <laughs> you lost me on tuna packets. Anyways, so as much as I would like to keep talking about our culinary adventures Going back to your conversation with Michelle Thomas, what's your biggest takeaway from the interview?
1: Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway is that security is never done. With Michelle's long career in government, she discussed the evolution of security standards from CDM to now Zero Trust And I hate to break it to the listeners, but I personally don't think zero trust is going to be the last step of cybersecurity. So we'll have to keep an eye out for the uh, sub zero trusts in the next 20 years or so. (laughs)
0: Are are you breaking the news that zero trust and all cybersecurity is a journey?
1: And it's evolving.
0: Wow, you heard it here first, folks. Well, with all of that in mind, let's take a listen to your conversation. Thank you
1: so much for joining me today, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So to kick off the episode, you spent the majority of your long career in government working for agencies, including the Department of Energy, Transportation, Labor. So what initially led you to government and influenced your career path?
2: Well, interestingly enough, both of my parents were public servants in a way. My father uh, was serving in the Army. He got out and he came back as a, a civilian working for the Department of the Army and my mother started her career initially as a teacher. Um, and she went on to become a French chef and, and taught French cooking. Um, so wow. that, that teacher thing persisted in, in her, her life. I initially just sort of gravitated to, to public service. And I, I wanted to work for the State Department. I wanted to leverage the fact that I spoke several languages and and possibly you know get to work overseas while well, I was already overseas because I'm an army brat mm-hmm. but um, back then the whole family had to pass physical and my father had had some health issues with his heart and so I was so disappointed that that I said, okay, the heck with with public service I'm going to work in the private sector so I worked in the private sector for a while but my dad kept, Mentioning, you know, the value of public service, and and it, you know, when you're young and you think you know everything, you don't always listen the first time around or the second. Uh, but I, mm-hmm. I eventually gravitated to it, and and in 1988, when I got out of school, um, that's when I I started working, and my first job was was working at the Pentagon for for the Air Force. Wow,
1: that's awesome! And just out of curiosity, what languages do you speak?
2: Well um my my native language is French my mother was French my father was American and I sp- had the the advantage I guess and and um the experience of living for 16 years of my life overseas in various mm-hmm. countries so I I I didn't speak English till I was 8 my mm-hmm. my mother and father my father learned French cuz he married a French woman right um mm-hmm. and and uh I, I, at the time, spoke German also, and I spoke Spanish. Wow,
1: that is really impressive. My grandfather was in the army, and my aunt was born in Germany. My dad's always pushing me to go into public service as well, so...
2: (laughs) (laughs) I was born in an army hospital in Heidelberg, Germany. Wow.
1: So across the different agencies you've supported, what are some of the cross-government challenges you've seen, and what are some of the silver linings that you've seen as well when it comes to federal IT modernization?
2: That's an interesting question. In terms of some of the challenges, there's there's always in a large company or agency a resistance to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a bureaucracy. and. You know, and in my federal career, I started in '88, but I I stopped in '99, and I worked in the private sector for eight years, and then I came back. Um, and I I've I've worked for large companies like like Bank of America, for example, and and I none of the challenges I think except one are, are unique. The resistance to change in any bureaucracy exists, um, and. Whether it's the well, we've always done it that way, or the nature of the company and the people that are at the top leadership—you uh, you know—they they could be lawyers or accountants, or they could be um, doctors or whatever. They all have their way of doing things, and some are more meticulous and involved than others, and and that leads to sometimes that that resistance to change, or certainly the bureaucracy, and. And any time that you have a generational mix at a company, a large company, you can't avoid it. You have younger people like myself at the time who want change, who want to do things differently, who want to exercise the ability to, whatever the new tech is at the time, uh, you know, exercise it. Or maybe they just figure they have a better way to skin the cat, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that, that happens a lot. I think the one outlier for me is the challenge of the federal budget because every year it, you have to get basically refunded and so the ability to strategize and and the ability to execute consistently and over a long period of time on a strategic plan that may be 5 or 10 years for that IT IT modernization effort That's really challenging. I never personally experienced that in the private sector, wherever I worked. Mm -hmm. I worked in tech companies. I worked in the finance industry with with the Bank of America. I was particularly uh, immersed in the, the credit card part of the business. And this was in the early 2000s when they were just starting to issue credit cards with chips on them. And so I was working on the encryption end of uh, securing the cards and the information that was on the chip, which was kind of interesting. But even there, the funding and and the financial end of things was was very different than than it was in the government. I think another related um, difference is uh, sometimes procurement. Um, there's there are laws that we have to uh, and regulations that we have to abide by in the federal government that may may not exist to the same extent in in the private sector. And so uh, those processes, again, especially the budget and the amount of time it takes to formulate and then to execute and to plan three years ahead. On a budget that renews every 12 months, you go through the same process. It's sometimes very challenging when you are in a world like we are today where things change so rapidly. It's really, it's hard to modernize IT in that kind of an environment.
1: Right. That makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned multiple things that stuck with me, change management. Uh, I often hear like that process is harder than modernizing the technology itself. But yeah, I can only imagine trying to set up programs or modernization projects that run longer for a year, and then you'll have to pivot depending on the budgeting the following year.
2: I think agencies are are. Some are really pivoting more quickly than others, but they are pivoting because you have all these new technologies that are exploding on the market. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if, if we don't pay attention to them, if we don't start implementing and using them, because there's no shortage of business requirements to use them to, to satisfy and using them rather, it, it, it's getting better. but. I mean, just imagine how long it takes to, to build an aircraft carrier for the Navy. Right. Uh, sixty minutes just had a, uh, a a thing on the readiness of of the uh, of the Navy. And I think it was five or seven years to build an aircraft carrier. Oh Is my the gosh. technology in the aircraft carrier? It's really must it must be challenging to keep that up to date. Um, right. So it's we have to be agile and nimble. There, there's no doubt in my mind.
1: Right. Yeah. So, when you talk about some of the agile, nimble approaches you're taking, what are some of the highlights or silver linings you've seen when it comes to modernization?
2: Well, there's um, there's always a, a very large group of people that want to embrace it, and in the IT community, they're especially, I'd say, for the past five years or so, before I even went to to the Department of Labor before I came here, they're finding people that have the experience of not just embracing, say, transition to the cloud or embracing agile methodologies and, and DevSecOps in, in the, the the IT software development uh, arena or even the change management arena. It, it, it was... Absolutely amazing to me. And at the same time, this is when uh, DHS and, and the Department of Justice back in, I don't know, 2012, 2013, um, were getting together to formulate what became the CDM program and, and bringing new technologies in to meet the cybersecurity requirements for government IT systems. And that to me, in my career, that was my first exposure to massive change across the board. It didn't matter if you were, you know, civilian agency X or Y or or whatever. You all had to comply, and the degree of compliance and the execution of that compliance was a little different for micro or small agencies, but all of the large and the medium-sized agencies had to comply, and to me, that was. That was that was when I rolled up my sleeves and said, oh, man, this is fun. I love this. And I jumped in with both feet.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. And the CDM program is
2: huge still. So that's amazing. Yeah. And and Zero Trust is coming right up. Yep, that's right.
0: We're going to take a break from today's interview and play a game I call Alphabet Soup, where I challenge our hosts to name the federal agency or office based on acronym alone. Playing today are Senior Researcher Sarah Seibert and Staff Writer Researcher Nikki Henderson. Hi, everyone. Hi, Alex. Hey
2: there, Alex.
0: Here are the rules. I will say the acronym and if you know the answer, buzz in using a buzzword. Today's buzzword is quantum computing. If you get it wrong, the other players get a chance to guess. If neither of you get the answer, I open the floor to random guessing until somebody gets it right or I give up and tell you. There are three acronyms today. Are you ready?
2: Yes, there I am.
0: (laughs) All right. Your first acronym is... ODSE
1: ODSE office of well oh buzzword quantum computing office of the director for scientific engineering
0: Office is correct and honestly if you told me that was what it was called I would I would just believe you that was pretty on point I'm going to give you a hint and it's a pretty big one because the D and the S could stand for basically anything. So I'm going to say it's Office of the Deputy Secretary of, but Sarah, you already guessed. So, Nikki, do you want to buzz in with a buzzword?
2: Quantum computing, um,
0: education. Yeah. Ooh. It is Office <laughs> of Deputy Secretary of Education. Oh my lucky,
1: lucky Good job.
0: <laughs> well done. <laughs> All right. Well, the next one is going to be a lot easier. So I think this is more of who can say the buzzword the quickest. It is D.O.I.
2: Quantum computing.
0: Yes, Nikki.
2: Department of Insurance.
0: Oh, so close. It is Department of something. Sarah, are you going to steal? Yes. Quantum computing uh, intelligence oh all right so the missing word starts with an i and oh is it innovation Oh, no. oh man you have to think a little okay. all right so think harder
1: what, your, what did you say your the first one was, what was the so first? it's not innovation or intelligence was the first one i said i think
0: so move away from it being like a cyber thing, and think more about—I don't know. Maybe this is mischaracterizing, but it seems like a bread and butter kind of like you have to have this department. Like it feels very like foundational. Maybe is the word. It's I'm going tour. Really, no. <laughs> the, the hint I'll give you is to look within yourselves.
2: Oh, uh,
1: introspection.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, this might sound mean, but Sarah, did you think that was correct? <laughs> no. Oh <my> God.
2: <laughs> uh, Identification, identity. Oh, yeah, that's a good guess.
0: Well, it's not that good.
1: <laughs> okay, looking within myself to find this acronym name, Department of...
0: I'll give Interior. you one. Interior. Yes. Oh, yes. Wow. Department of Interior.
2: <laughs> that was great. I <laughs> yeah.
0: thought that was the easy one. Y'all are in for a world of hurt this next one. <laughs> oh, <God.
1: laughs> oh, man.
0: Okay, I'm I'm going to give you a real big hint up front because this could go literally any direction. So I'm going to give you its genre, its sector. Okay. All right, so this is agriculture-related. Telling you up front.
1: that's all you. <laughs> agriculture, okay. <laughs> all
0: right, your acronym is FBC.
1: Hmm. I think I know the FB, but I don't know the C.
0: You, you can guess the FB.
1: Okay, quantum computing. Mm, the F would be Federal Bureau of...
0: Like carbon emissions, or something <laughs> none of that was right you know i'm i'm gonna I'm gonna implement a new rule where when a letter is guessed, I give you like one in exchange, so like i I'm gonna tell you that the b is business, not bureau
1: oh, so the f was right,
0: yeah oh no, I'm just giving you one answer. <laughs>
2: Okay. Nikki steal it. Oh, wow. Okay. Um quantum computing. You said the F was it's not federal. Unknown.
0: I'm going to emphasize that this I I told you this is agriculture related. What what starts with an F that's related to agriculture?
2: Farming.
0: Yeah, sure sh- in it? Farm. Yes.
2: Business commission.
0: So I'm I'm going to, I'm a mean, mean person. The reason I was drawn to this is that there are two words in the name of this agency slash office that are not in the acronym because I'm awful. So I'm going to say, all right, before I give away the whole title, because I'm going to say like, Same farm, business, something like that is so close that you're all winners for coming together on that. So what could the C be if it's not, did you say commission?
2: Yes, I said commission.
0: So what would you call the middle of something? Starts with a C. The middle. The core. center. Enter. Yes, I do. I I do love the idea of there being the farm business (laughs) core. That's pretty intense. Um, All right. The answer, you all work together on this. So you're all winners. It's the Farm Production and Conservation Business
1: Center. Oh, my gosh, Alex. (laughs) I like how I would have gotten that. This is like turning into, have you guys played catchphrase before? That's what this is turning into.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's no real world where you guess most of these without any sort of hint. So maybe this is a real exercise in how good or bad am I at providing hints.
1: No, you're a great guide to this game. (laughs) I agree. I agree.
0: Well, we had ODSE, DOI, and what should have been called FPCBC, Which, now that I'm saying it out loud, yeah, FPC is fine. But that is the absolute chaos of Alphabet Soup. I believe, Sarah and Nikki, you tied? You both got one, and then you both contributed to the last one. So maybe the real winner here is friendship.
2: Oh, I agree.
0: (laughs) Well, on that absolutely heartwarming note... Thank you, Sarah and Nikki for playing. And now back to the episode.
1: So before taking on your new role as a DHS S&T CISO at the beginning of the year, you were the deputy chief technology officer at the Department of Labor. What were some of the successes you had at that, in that role that positioned you for your current role?
2: Well, I was a deputy CTO and, and I'm a CISO here, mm-hmm. but I never, and I was a CISO before I went uh, for seven years before I went to uh, to labor. So I never really lost touch with the cybersecurity aspect. Um, I I was a deputy CTO in an organization that had an advanced engineering component, a uh, data management component, an emerging technology component, uh, an enterprise architecture component. and so uh, i I think I had a profound effect on change while I was at labor, not just bringing the concept of security from the ground up from the start, build it in from the beginning, but also. Looking at the, the the lack of workflow automation that they had, and and I'm talking about m- multiple platforms. There was um, Salesforce, there was ServiceNow, was Appian, and they all can manage workflows in different types of needs, whether it's CRM, whether it's case management, uh, or whatever, but it was it was interesting i came into this organization with with the uh, all the little pieces that made up the cto's office that i mentioned and they had started the final stretch of enterprise shared service consolidation and so the department of labor had taken its 25 of its 27 agencies and they had all uh, joined into this shared services concept, and it was like uh, organizational change on steroids, and it was very, very challenging. And I came in at the tail end of it, and um, I started there initially on a detail um, as as part of a, a career development program for um, the senior executive service. And I liked it. They wanted me to stay. So when my detail was over after five months, I actually became a uh, DOL employee. And that was interesting because it was in the middle of the pandemic. It was in December 2020. Wow. Um, So I started working with people that I'd never seen from below the shoulders. Mm -hmm. Um, I onboarded as a new employee uh, electronically or or, um, virtually. And, And it was just really interesting. But what I, what I think my biggest impact was in terms of that change that that I brought along was, I came into this organization that had just focused and completed, or just about wrapped up their their consolidation for enterprise shared services, and the most upfront piece of that was one of the three platforms that I mentioned. It was ServiceNow. And the CIO and the deputy CIO asked me to, to, to take a look at how it could better support this organizational change and support the consolidated uh, IT services such as uh, service management, such as change management, um, operational management, all the kinds of things that many, many over 65 agencies use ServiceNow for. Um, and so we looked at the platform at a team of 24 people, um, great contract partner, and we found a lot of issues and we ended up completely redesigning it from the ground up, just ripped off the bandaid, scrapped the old and totally rebuilt the new in eight months. Wow. And I think that was a very profound change because it affected the entire enterprise. Right. That's really impressive uh, that you were
1: able to do that in that timeline. I had a great team. Yeah, yeah. So, why did you choose to move to DHS S and T, or what excited you about this new position?
2: Well, interestingly enough, um, I had I had worked at at Treasury in in the '90s, and uh, when when 9/11 happened, a couple of years later, DHS was formed. And many of the agencies that I had worked with as part of Treasury were now part of DHS, Customs, Secret Service. And and uh, and so I always wanted to work at DHS. I, I just thought it was really interesting and, and actually kind of cool what they had done. They were, if <laughs> you want to talk about organizational change management, that must have been one heck of a challenge. I was, at the time, I was getting positioned to um, lead some, some major efforts in, in terms of, of cybersecurity and, and related activities at, at the Department of Energy. And so I chose to stay there, but I always had my eye on positions at, at DHS. And when this one came along, the first thought that crossed my head was, this is it. This, this is the time to jump. And and to grab this one because my I've been in IT in one way or another my entire uh, what is it now 26 years in the federal government even mm-hmm. with the break in between but even with the break I was still in the IT field I was working cybersecurity or PKI or or whatever but but this was an opportunity not to work with the same kind of constituency but people who are doing R and D research analysts. Data scientists and people that I hadn't had the opportunity to work for consistently uh, and support consistently before, and um, and so I I went for it, and I apparently I got it because I'm here. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome! Congratulations!
1: Uh, I'm definitely excited for you and to see what you do in this new role. So as you settle into your position and start to strategize with your team's IT and cybersecurity trajectory, what are some of your goals or aspirations?
2: I'm still uh, drinking from the fire hose. Um, (laughs) It hasn't stopped, but um, that's not unexpected. This is, uh, you know, DATES is very, very large organization and I'm still I'll always be in learning mode. Everybody is, but, but I'm still really, I'm getting to know the staff that, that I work with better. I'm I'm getting to know the rest of the leadership better. Um, and, and I'm learning what, what some of the needs are. So first and foremost on my agenda is zero trust because it, it, you know, there are certain things that have to happen by certain times, like reaching a, a level of maturity by the end of the fiscal twenty four, September thirtieth, twenty twenty four. That's that's there, and and also learning about all the things that that my my my, my organization does. So, for example, cybersecurity. We we uh, manage the authorization process for the IT systems that we have here in, in SNT. and um, We support a varied uh, mission. In the R and D space, we do a lot of research and development on different things, and I'm still learning about all the things that we do. We have five national labs. Uh, we collaborate very strongly with the Department of Energy and and with other organizations, international and national. So there's a scope and a depth that I have yet to gain some expertise on, but it's all really kind of cool and exciting work. It's not. It's not what I what I've done in the past, so to speak. Uh, it, this constituency is is different, and the mission is is just as important as the mission of of some of the other agencies. But I think what distinguishes uh, Homeland Security is the scope of what we do and the various components, whether it's CBP or Secret Service or ICE or the other offices in in the headquarters it there's just so much the mm-hmm. the the depth is fascinating to me another reason i came here is is there are five people that i i uh, had in my my career development class and they're here and and so one of the things i i did is is contact them before i accepted the position here and said What's it like? It's 20 years later. What's it like at at DHS? And everybody had wonderful things to say. And and that really tipped the scale for me. The people that I knew that I trusted um, were all saying, oh, God, you got to come join us. (laughs) Um, So I did. Yeah, that's great to hear.
1: Um, And it's really exciting. I feel the same way as you. DHS is so big and it covers so much ground and I learn new things about it every day. So I'm really excited for you and looking forward to seeing what you do as you move forward in your journey. And thank you again for taking the time to chat with me today. Oh, Sarah, thank you so
2: much. It's been fun.
0: That was a great conversation. Sarah, before we wrap up the episode, are there any last highlights or takeaways you want to leave our listeners with?
1: Yeah, from our conversation, Michelle has uh, some great goals and priorities set out. So I will definitely be uh, checking in with her during her tenure at DHS ST and t to see how the goals she outlined evolve. Evolve in the journey. <laughs>
0: Yes, evolve journey zero trust. It's never over. And that's why you should subscribe to Govcast so that you can keep getting wonderful insights on this strange important journey that we are all on. Thank you, Sarah. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure that you subscribe and leave a review on the podcast platform of your choice. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. But until then, I'm Alexander Bolova.
1: I'm Sarah Seibert.
0: Thank you for listening. GovCast, along with HealthCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to GovCIOmedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. If you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com I'm not going to edit any of that. That was gold. And (laughs) it's just staying in the episode. All right.